Hello and welcome back to the Rover Shack podcast as we're on episode number four, a new week, a new episode and a lot of things to talk about. As you'll see today, I'm joined by Mike, who was obviously absent last week. Joining us from France this time, we've done spare already this podcast, we're now in France. Mike, how are we? Yeah, I'm doing a bit of scouting for Greg and JDT in France and Belgium at the moment. There's not much talent around here, to be honest. Doesn't shock me, I'll be honest. But uh, just before we start, we wanted to mention, obviously, England women, the Lionesses are through to the final of the World Cup. Congratulations to everyone involved and also to the former three Rovers midfielders. For anyone who saw the game, uh, England lined up with three in midfield. As Ella Toon, Georgia Stanway and Kira Walsh all lined up and all actually were part of a Rovers squad once upon a time. So congratulations to everyone and fingers crossed that football comes home on Sunday. It'll be a massive thing for everyone involved. Uh, I know a lot of people have gone and supported the women's team as well. So, massive, massive achievement. And hopefully, we can go the final step. Mike, let's get into this week's episode. Now, a lot that's gone on, maybe more than we realise that's actually gone in the last week. So, we'll cover it all. And we'll start off with the Rotherham game. Rovers obviously go 2-0 down after Sammy Smaddix misses a penalty and then whips the ball right across his own box for Rotherham to go one up. They score off a header uh, and then get a red card, which I'm sure we'll go on to discuss, before Sammy Smaddix then turns into the hero and scores twice. Mark, I tried reacting to the game. You did the reaction to the game, so we won't go on to it too much. I'll just sum up that Rotherham match because if you wanted Blackburn Rovers in a game, it almost felt like that one. Yeah, I mean, every fan has a different opinion on this one because you don't know whether you're happy that we've come back from 2-0 down uh, to get the points or you're disappointed that we went 2-0 down in the first place after starting so strong and then disappointed not to get the win after coming back from two goals but having chance after chance to actually nick the win. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into the refereeing decisions um, but I felt like it was a really strong start and then we just gifted them the two goals and then we came back into it after the ref gave us a little bit of a gift himself. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so I was on the line of actually being a bit disappointed when I had a chance to sit down and think about it and when you're seeing them chances at the end, you know, we could have won that 4-5-2 by the, uh, by the final whistle. I just felt tired at the end, I'll be honest. There were that many emotions during the day, I was just like... We've come away with some up. Let's just get home. It was so hard. It's so hard to dress in games. You're right. You sit there at 2 0 down, you take anything. And then you get to 2 2. You score as well as we did, but it were offside. And you're like, surely we can nick it. And I don't want to go into it too much because it'll get me annoyed again. But that short corner at the end when Rovers, yeah. all they had to do were whip it in. And you saw the players throwing their arms about at the end. They were. We'll say annoyed with it to keep it PG, but really disappointed. The refereeing decisions as well. We'll mention them now. The first yellow card for Anya Dimna going near the crowd. I've never liked this rule. I've never thought it was massive. He didn't actually go in, but I remember Charlie Mulgrew saying after he scored that goal at Doncaster that he'd have loved to have gone to the crowd, but he was already on a yellow and he knew he might get certain off. So the first yellow's one of them. It's happens now the seconds where the big debates come from I think and it's come because of a few different things what do you make of the red card as a whole arguably by the rules in my eyes it was a red card I just think it's very harsh and very very hard to pick out you know you see different games you saw for the first yellow Varane did it for United on the Monday didn't get carded which I think again brings the consistency issues 
What do you make of that decision, Mike? Would you be cheesed off if it were Rovers who got that red card? Yeah, of course. I mean, if it was the kind of thing where our players were being petulant and, and getting these little yellow cards and, and stuff where normally, well, previously the record let them go. Obviously, they're trying to change the game. You know, they've looked at the rugby model where everyone respects the ref. They're trying to force that now by doing this where you can't give the imaginary yellow cards, you can't sort back, you can't kick the ball away. All the dark arts of the game, obviously, that um, a lot of people have been calling for to get sorted. They're obviously doing it now. I, it, it is a red card. It's harsh. Um, we play by the same rules and we wasn't getting the yellow cards. There was one where Schmodix may have got a yellow card. Um, I think he tweeted out saying he was uh, he was crossing it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd obviously be pretty cheesed off if it was Rovers getting the red cards, but I understand why it happened. And we we didn't get the, the same petulant yellow cards that they did. They just needed to grow up a little bit and understand what the rules and follow them to a T. I think as well, you look at the manager then getting a yellow card. I think the physio got a yellow card as well, I seem to remember. And then the keeper as well. And I get why Rotherham fans are annoyed, but these players are briefed on it at the start of the season. I saw one Rotherham fan actually put, it was probably Bobby Madley that did it as well because he's quite high up in the referee and he normally does the demonstration. So they know it's a yellow card and as petty and as disappointing as it is, it is a red and it's one that Rovers took advantage of. And I have without doubt that Rovers will get a red card for something like this this season. If yeah, we don't, definitely. then fair enough. But it's going to happen at some point. And I'm sure when it happens, we'll be miffed and we'll be a bit annoyed. But it's rules. We've got to go through this pain, haven't we? You know, yeah. whenever they're sorting and making these changes, you know, do you remember at the World Cup when it was all shirt pulling in the areas and it was just penalty, penalty, penalty? You know, you, I mean, I think the EFL refs will probably get bored of it and stop. And it'll be this start of the season thing where everyone's following the rules uh, to a T. There'll be yellow cards, red cards, and everything flying around. And then the AFL goes, you know what, nothing's changing. This is just ruining the game. And, you know, the leniency will come in and we'll be back to square one. I'm just glad that we weren't falling into the same trap that Rotherham did. They were being really petulant. Like you said, they knew the rules. And they, you know, they were the ones being petulant with it. Yeah, that's it. Unfortunately for them, it is what it is, and we can't change it now either. Uh, just moving on to Saturday, Hull City visit Ewell Park. Rovers look to make it free unbeaten in the league four in all comps. Now, Hull are a side that I thought disappointed last year in a way. I expected them to do a bit better. Maybe the amount of signings they made in the summer was actually detrimental to them rather than beneficial. They arrive at Ewood after losing at Norwich on the opening day and then beating what I'd argue is a very poor Sheffield United side last week, so I think they're hard to judge. What do you make of Saturday's game, Mike? Should Rovers be getting three points out of it? I'd like to think so. I mean, it was Chef Wednesday, obviously, not Chef United, uh, before you get I jumped on in the comments. <laughs> um, I've got quite a strong side. I mean, two Frank got his hat-trick. Aaron Connolly, he's a decent player, isn't he? You know, he's no slouch. Liam Delap up top, you know, they, they are a good side. Um, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I'm not ready to do my predictions just yet. I'd like to see Hedges come in, uh, maybe for Mark and Bear. I think Mark and Bear's had an okay couple of games. I don't think he's been fantastic. Um, but when Hedges has come on, I think he's looked pretty dangerous. 
So yeah, I'd like to I'd like to think that we're gonna get something out of it. Yeah, so would I. I think we'll get a win. I'm confident we'll get a win because it's at Ewood. If we were going away, yeah, the confidence goes. But I think we'll get there. We will, of course, cover the whole game in all its glory. Uh, three pre-match shows and also three post-match. Now, we introduced the added time show uh, that we put out on Twitter earlier today at the time of recording. We'll be covering each match in a bit more depth, probably going into a couple of plays in focus, a bit more Sky Sports-style coverage as they do after a game train do something alongside the uh, the instant match reaction as well. We'll move on to a bit of a look at transfers so far, Mike, before we kind of look at footballers general and the championship. David Rea made his move finally, not the move we wanted financially. We won't go too much into it. We know the tale. He's gone on loan. He signed an extension on his contract. He'll probably go for a fee next year, the fee that's been agreed. What do you make of the deal, Mike? Is it just one of the things that happens in football where two sides of both got a positive deal and we're left there with none. I've tried to keep track of this one. I mean, we've talked about it on previous pods and I've tried to keep track. It's been so hard and, you know, signing the deal, going out on loan, you know, what are Blackburn going to get out of it? I mean, I find it a strange transfer to start with anyway because his stats aren't that much different from Ramsdale. Um yeah, I, I th- ultimately, we're going to get the money for him, aren't we? It just looks like it's going to be next year now, which is a bit disappointing because we need the money now. Yeah, that's it. I wonder if Rovers might look at doing something against that money, maybe, you know, trying to work out a way of him putting that money now and taking it next year when the FAP comes in. Uh, transfer rumours and targets, etc. not too much going on. The Danny Bath one's still bubbling on. Pardon the pun there, that wasn't an intended one, but... <laughs> The Bath deal seems to kind of stalled and gone out of favour. Mike, the question I want to ask you is, do Rovers need a centre-back as much as it appears we want one? Do we need one? Uh, we need depth. Definitely need the depth. Um, I think Hyman and Carter have looked great together. Um, I've been really impressed with their, their partnership. I think, you know, we're, I, I, I've said all along that our team is not a strong side. They're not a big side. But them centre-backs are strong. They're, they're winning their headers. They're winning their tackles. They're playing it out nicely. So I'm, I'm happy with the starting uh, back two. But when it comes to Danny Bath, I mean, I don't know what kind of wages he's going to command, but I would see him as someone that is maybe a backup to the foot, you know, to the first two. And then getting some cup games for some depth. I don't, I don't think it's a desperate need, but I do think we, we do need that depth. I mean, what what's what's your opinions on it? Because obviously we have lost the Ash Phillips. So what what would be your backup to centre backs? See, my thoughts on this transfer come down to the finances now, and that's what it is with everyone. I'd love another left back, but I don't see it happening now with money, etc. So my backup centre back, I like Scott Wharton. I think he'd do as a backup one, not as a starter. I do worry if we get a long term injury at the back for Harry McCarter, where we go. Sam Barnes, I'm a big fan of, but again, how much do we ask of him in the first year, especially the first year after an ACL injury as well? I just think, for me, if the finances work well enough for us to do it, I'm not massively disappointed. It's the striker for me now. If we were only going to make mm-hmm. one signing before the end of the window, it has to be a striker. So that's where my focus on. I'd love two. I'd love three. I'd love four if we could get another winger, but we're not going to, are we? So... 
Yeah, it's one of them that is my second, the second, uh, second most needed thing after. Obviously, that striker we mentioned, striker and attacking players as well. Ratseki from Crystal Palace, who spent last year on loan at Charlton. Uh, he's been linked with a club. He's been linked with a lot of clubs, as you probably expect. This summer after a really good year. Would this be an exciting transfer for you, Mike? Would it be maybe an unexpected one in terms of getting someone who's actually done it in the professional game? Because you get a lot of these loanies, don't you, from the Premier? It's the first loan out. It works with certain ones, Harvey Elliott, but it doesn't work with others such as Leighton Clarks and so. What do you make of the deal if it were to happen? Well, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of the loan system. Uh, I could make videos for days on how I feel like the loan system's breaking football. Um, but I mean, I, I, I was I was going to ask you, which, what would you prefer? Would you prefer Danny Bath on a on a good financial permanent deal or a Raksaki as a loan? I'll, I'll ask you that in a second. Um, but apparently, um, our, our good friend Roy Hodgson isn't happy about sending him out at the moment. He feels like he's needed to stay. So it looks like that's going to be quite a difficult one to get over the line. Um, so if, if you had the choice between the two, a Raksaki on loan or a Danny Bath coming in permanently to our depth at the centre back, what, what, what would you prefer to be pulling the trigger on? Raksaki, given the start we've had, I think we're lacking the wide options. I think we're not. I won't say we're lacking a massive, but we're lacking someone that I think could be a regular starter in this side out wide. Because I think you've got your number 10, who's a guarantee. Sigurdsson will probably become a, a guaranteed starter out wide. But at the moment, we're two wide men that I wouldn't be bothered if we changed to Mark Andy, mm. Hedges, Dolan, uh, Ennis, etc. So, yeah, it'd be Ratsaki for me. But again... I just want a striker. That's almost my well, thing. I'm hearing loads of names being thrown around and nothing ever get, gets traction, does it? No, nothing at all. And that's the issue at the moment. And that's the issue with us going foreign as well with signings that you can throw a foreign name out there and it's much harder to discredit. You know, you look at reporters, how many reporters covering the local club have contacts in Italy, Norway, etc. compared to when they got a local club. So... No, it's definitely either. We'll just move on to a quick look at the EFL in focus. Two games in, Mike. What do you make of some of the sides in the league? Is there anyone you've been very impressed with that you maybe were shot with or vice versa? Teams you thought would do well and haven't, actually. Um, there's two obvious ones, and that is Ipswich and Plymouth. Um, obviously, you know, when you get promoted, you're still flying high a little bit, but you know, it switched to get their six points against Sunderland and Stoke. I mean, Sunderland, good side. I mean, obviously, we know one of their signings has been a good signing. Um, you know, Stoke, Stoke. But, I mean, generally, that's, they, they've looked pretty strong. And Plymouth, 3-1 uh, against Huddersfield. And then that 0-0 away at Watford, that, that's not a result to be sniffed at. I mean, I'd take a draw away at Watford. Um, so, yeah, I think they're the obvious ones. Disappointing. I was disappointed with West Brom at the against us. I, I've got family members that support West Brom, and I, I do follow them a little bit closer. And I just felt like they're quite big, they're quite strong, but they're not really doing anything with it. And you know, for us to to do what we did in that, you know, sixty seconds, not even that, I think that was quite disappointing to see from a side like West Brom. Yeah, I think. Leeds as well, although I expected a slow start from them. I thought they'd been really poor in games. 
there's been a few. I didn't think Norwich should actually start like they did. I was impressed with that 4-4 game at Southampton. I was really impressed with it. I think it's been, because it's the first couple of games, you expect the odd different thing, don't you? I just think overall we've seen the sides that I thought would do poor, like Huddersfield, I really worry about this year. At QPR winning at Cardiff, I didn't have though the other day. So it's been a start of the big boys, Leicester and Southampton, I think have done really well. Uh, The sides you kind of expect to struggle, I think I've struggled a bit, but we're only two games and there's 44 more to go. Anything could change. I'm sure we'll see Leeds get a bit further. I'm sure we'll see someone else. But that's where we'll round off the first section of the week in focus and also a quick look at the EFL there. And we'll move on now to a guest section as we're joined by EFL guru Gab Sutton. You've seen him on the channel plenty of times. Sat down with Gab, had a quick chat with him about Rovers, the championship as a whole, his expectations for Rovers this year, potential striker options going forward and a lot more. So check that out here and then we'll go straight into the mailbag. So, Gab, thank you very much for joining us. I'm sure people know where you are. You've been on the channel plenty of times, but just want to introduce yourself and tell people where they can find you. Hi, folks. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Um, I'm Gab Sutton. You can follow me on Twitter at Gab Sutton as well. Uh, I also have a show called EFL Debate, where I speak to various different people across the game, mainly fans at the moment, uh, hoping to get a few manager interviews as well. But we have a championship podcast on Wednesdays at 5.30, and sometimes Dan joins us. Yeah, always enjoyed doing it. Go and check it out. I'll leave everything down below. So, Gab, we just brought you on to really have a chat about the Championship. Mainly, we will chat about Rovers as well, but focus on the Championship. What have you made to the opening two weeks? You know, really good to have it back, of course, but what have you made of it? Sure, yeah. I I think um, it's probably been um, a time where one or two of the uh, the clubs that are expected to uh, to go well uh, maybe have, have started um, a little bit slowly performance-wise. I think Leeds United in particular, where, you know, you've got that uncertainty over who, who's stay, coming and who's staying. Um, and sometimes that can uh, interfere with performances a little bit. And even Leicester, although they've won both their games, they've not necessarily been great. Um, Southampton beat the worst Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday who were probably the worst team in the league on the first two games and then probably weren't that great against Norwich so I think all three of the promoted the relegated sides haven't quite been um, sort of um, performing at full throttle and I guess that's made it quite nice and open and uh, and given uh, the rest of the league a bit of an opportunity Yeah it was much needed weren't it I think people were worried about these teams Breaking away. Is there any teams you've been concerned about other than those three relegated teams? Anyone? I mean, you know, we mentioned Chef Wednesday. Is there anyone sure. else that you may be a bit worried about? Yeah, um, I mean Huddersfield, uh, in one sense, because they've uh, they've lost their first two games, although they did actually play really well against uh, against Leicester City. Um, I would say um, Rotherham. I've got some big concerns over them, um, based on the balance of play. It looks like your luck probably should have beaten them. I would imagine um, you'd say, um, and, and then I think even the other going to the likes of um, Sunderland and Middlesbrough. Um, I think that, you know, once either of those two teams have a, you know, a clinical goal scoring presence up top, uh, you know, things could start to look a little bit different. But at the moment, um, both sides seem to be struggling to convert. So that's made it for a really interesting and open league so far, but only two games in, of course. Yeah, definitely. That's the main thing to consider. I just wanted to mention as well, 
a lot of strikers dropping out the league after last year. Obviously, it's time of recording this tube. But Pom's just gone to Ajax, a move I didn't expect to be seeing this time last year. I know. Yeah. Obviously, Brereton Diaz to Villarreal. You've got Jokeres, who's gone sporting Lisbon. What do you make of all these deals like the championship? Because I can't remember, obviously, you know the EFL much better than me, but I can't remember a championship where players are going abroad so much, you know, especially from non promoted clubs. Is that the feeling you're getting at the moment? Yeah, it's um, it's very surprising, isn't it? Uh, I feel like there's a few teams that we've mentioned that are probably um, may, maybe a striker short, um, and um, certainly in terms of Sunderland and uh, Middlesbrough. Um, so yeah, maybe there has been a bit of a uh, bit of a deficiency, and um, but then you you've got midfielders stepping up, I guess. You've got Ozan Tufan for Hull City. He's already scored three goals. Um, Kin and Jewsbury Hall's had a great start. Uh, to the season with uh, with Leicester City, and then you've got attacking midfielders like Will Keane and Sammy Smodix for your lot, um, and then Johnny Rose had a great start to the season for Norwich. So I guess there's it's been a good start to the season for non-strikers, even though the strikers themselves have maybe been a bit quiet. Yeah, I find it really interesting with all of these going abroad as well. It, like I say, it's not often you see it, and it almost it opens it up a bit. I have Middlesbrough to to do well this year still, so. Uh, We'll see how they go without that. I'm just moving on to your club, obviously, Birmingham. I know, sure. obviously, optimism built over the summer with the American ownership, etc. How have you assessed their start to division? Rovers don't actually face them for quite a while, so I'm sure things will change. But how do you make, you know, what do you make of the start you've had? Well, I mentioned, um, you know, maybe now being a good time to play teams like Leeds and clubs coming down from the Premier League. I almost think now is probably a bad time to play us just because the um, morale around the club is just uh, is on such a real high at the moment. You've got the the, um, the new takeover and Tom Wagner has spoken with so much clarity and, um, you know, so much transparency. And I think that's just uh, he's communicated the vision for the football club and it just feels incredibly encouraging and the sort of things that we've not had at Birmingham City Football Club for a long, long time. And I just think that in itself um, is just a really exciting thing for supporters. So we're kind of with the, with um, Tom Brady, of course, getting the association with the club as well uh, and him having um, having a pint with fans in the local local pubs next to the ground. Um, bit of a surreal experience, but I think it just adds to the whole atmosphere around the club at the moment. Uh, I think fans are dreaming, fans are excited. Am I expecting this to um, last for the for the whole season? Probably not expecting it. I think there's a world where we we end up going madly ahead of schedule and, you know, this momentum does take us on to maybe challenge for the playoffs a bit ahead of schedule. Um, I'm probably not expecting us, you know, if we dropped a little bit and got into the top half or something, I'll be delighted with that. Um, but yeah, I think at the moment we're just on the crest of a wave and just sort of enjoying some good early season form. Yeah, it's nice to see clubs getting back to hopefully be in a division where everyone's competing based off performances and not off all the issues with point deductions as we've seen. That's a bit of a championship utopia, Dan. <laughs> yeah, five of what are we on now? Five or six years without a club that have not lost because of the points deduction. It's it's yeah. a shame when it happens. Hopefully we're in a bit of a better situation, although something else will crop up in the next month, I'm sure. Uh, just looking at Rovers start the season with a win and a draw. Gab, what have you made of what you've seen in Rovers so far, I appreciate you covering 24 teams or, well, 72 actually with EFL. <laughs> so you might yeah, not have seen uh, everything, but... 
Sure. Um, I think when it comes to Blackburn Rovers, there's um, obviously I think I think it's really exciting that Harry Lennon has started um, as quickly as he did scoring on the opening day, because I think there was probably a lot, a lot of talk going into the season at Blackburn that we need a striker and Sam Gallagher isn't going to be good enough. And is Niall Ennis going to cut the mustard? And I reckon, you know, maybe you'll tell me uh, I'm wrong about this, but I think possibly Harry Leonard getting a goal on the opening day, maybe doesn't, you know, doesn't do any harm in, in that regard in terms of just soothing things a little bit. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think that attacking quartet of um, Leonard, Doolan, Smodix, um uh, who's on the right wing on the opening day again? Mark there, there we go, Mark Ande. Um, yeah, so that attacking quartet seemed to rotate quite nicely. And what I thought was interesting about that game was you actually had 61% possession against West Brom. And yet at least one of the goals he scored from, <clears throat> if not possibly both, because um, I think that the highlights didn't quite show the full uh, thing. They came from sort of transitional attacks, so it shows that you're able to find multiple ways to uh, to skin cats. And then, by the looks of the stats against uh, Rotherham, you probably will feel you um, could have got all three points there. So, um, I would say reasonably encouraging, considering some of the um, the concern you, you maybe had going into the season. <clears throat> yeah, the Rotherham one especially was when you know Sammy Smadits missed a penalty. Then he fired the ball across his own box to give them the goal and you kind of thought it's one of them days. And then we conceded off a set piece, so we didn't concede. Rotherham didn't cut us open and play the ball around us. They scored off a mistake, which it still counts regardless. And then off a set piece, which Rovers are notoriously quite bad at defending normally. So, yeah, it definitely felt we should have beat them. I mean, we were almost the masters of our own downfall, almost. But luckily we got two goals in that West Brom game. I thought we were quite good. Got them off the break pretty quick. It'll be interesting to see how we go for the season. Uh, Gab, just final question. Have any of your expectations or predictions changed for the season based off the first two weeks? I know it's only a short period, but is Mm. there anyone you might be like, do you know what, maybe they can do a bit more or maybe I've backed them to do too much or is it ask me in a month? Um, Well, there's certainly definitely an element of, of ask me in a month. Having said that, I would say um, Stoke City, I had 19th at the start of the season. I'm not sure if I had the chance to pick a 1-24 to again. I would go with Stoke at 19th because um, of the way they did play on that opening day against Rotherham, where it did feel like it all came together surprisingly quickly, considering the number of players that they brought in. Um, and to be fair, they did make a lot of signings after um uh, after I'd kind of submitted the predictions and there, some of them are quite ex- exciting, exotic additions. So maybe Stoke will finish a bit higher than 19th. I still don't quite see them pushing for the playoffs, but they might get themselves into safe mid-table territory. Um, um, so, yeah, that, that would be my, my choice. Yeah, Stoke, Stoke are always hard to predict anyway, aren't they? Do always, yeah. You always back them to do well and they don't. One year you don't back them to do as well and watch them fly up. But no, Gab, thank you very much for joining us. I'll leave all the Gab's links down below and we'll head straight back into the podcast now as we head into the mailbag. A massive thanks to Gab there for joining us. I'll leave his link down below in the description. Go and check it out. Brilliant shows he does. The EFL debates, especially good for general uh, championship content. So, Mike, let's get straight into the mailbag. So, 
So, Max, two questions today, really. Uh, anyone who wants to submit questions, you can do them in the comments on the podcast episode on YouTube. You can comment on the YouTube post that goes out every Monday or the tweet that goes out at Rovstar underscore. The first one from Luke Core. Luke, thank you for your question. I believe Dolan and Gallagher in the last year of their contracts, although Galli has a year option. Would you sell them now if a big come in? And if so, what fee would you accept? Personally, I'd keep them on new deals, but depends on what offers we get. So that's a really good question there from Luke. Mark, I'll come to you. I'll give you I'll give you Gallagher. What fee does a club have to come in for Gallagher with his contract up this summer or next summer for you to think, do you know what? I think it's time to move him on. I think assuming we, we're not bringing in another striker and, and we have what we have now, so your Leonard, your Emerses and obviously Gallagher, um, I would say it's probably going to be about two million. I would need to to actually, you know, sell him and, and bring someone else in to replace him. I'm not saying he's necessarily worth that because, I mean, I've discussed in the past about how I'd actually take a pack of crisps for him sometimes. Um, but generally... I think the fact that we don't have depth and when he does come on, he is he is hassle for defenders. I'd say it's going to be a couple of million. Yeah, I think that's about where I'm at. With Dolan, I was stuck on this one because mm. what I'd take, I'd take three or four million. What do I think we'd get? I don't have a clue. I don't know who's going to come in for I think it's them, these two situations are it. You almost know once a club comes in. If a club comes in for them, you can kind of say straight out straight now. For me, I'd sell them if we get a decent, a few million for having them. I'd sell them, and that's purely because I'm sick of us letting players run down the contract and I'm not having anything. We've been mourned it a lot. I thought we saw it with Kaminsky. We didn't really want to sell him as Rovers fans, but we understand that, you know, we're getting a decent fee. So. Dolan's got value, hasn't he? He's, yeah. he's young, tricky winger. He's a very fashionable position. Well. English, yeah, exactly. So, the thing, this is a massive year for Dolan. He could make or break his career if he if he does if he doesn't do this this uh, this right. So, you know, I, I feel like the first two games he's been okay. Um, I think he's been. Um, I think some of his decision making has been pretty poor. Um, you know, which is similar to what Breverton used to be like, where he'd kind of put himself into blind alleys and not really know what to do. Sometimes I feel like he's he's more bothered about like the tricky footwork and um, you know, some of the more extravagant stuff. Um, I'd, I'd take I'd take a few million with some add-ons for him, but I think he's got so much to prove. I'm not sure someone would pay what we would ask. No. That's the issue. You can't ask for a price that no well you can, but no one's gonna pay it. Second question from Welsh Rovers, how quickly do you think Arno Sigurdsson will adopt, settle into the championship when he's back in? And how much of an impact can he have on the team? In terms of for me, I'll jump in first on this one. In terms of an impact, I think he can have a massive one and I think he'll offer something different. The settling in's the issue for me now. I think they said eight weeks from July. So that takes you end of August, end of September. So probably after the October international break, we're going to see him properly, which means it could take him another month to get in. I know John Dahl will put him into all these games that he normally does, but yeah, I'm not sure we're going to I think with the injuries, we're going to see a lot less of him than with a hope. But Mark, what do you reckon? How long for Sigurdsson? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's it's basically the same as what you said. I mean, it's going to be a while before he's even training properly and getting himself match fit. Then he's got to get up to speed tactically with how we play, which is obviously um, uh, probably beneath him considering he's played Champions League football. I think he, he has got a chance now to settle into the squad, being injured. He can be in and around the squad, getting to know the lads, getting to know everything tactically. I think it's going to be around Christmas time, isn't it, before we start seeing really settle. I, I just like the fact that you know, this is a real chance for us to kind of stake a claim for him because at the end of the year, you know, he's going to look at what we've done for him and hopefully we're going to get him on a nice deal and he'll stay. I think it is, he is still one for the future. I mean, how old is he? He's, he's early 20s, isn't he? Yeah, he's only on 23, 24, so he's definitely potential. Uh, I think Rich Sharp yeah. said as well before he left that there's something in his contract about him potentially staying. So we could get yes. him up to his peak, really. So, yeah, so they're not going to rush him into it because it, we've kind of got him for the year. Um, I, I can see Christmas. I think he's going to settle. And I think I said um, in the previous video, he's going to go down as one of our stars of the season when he comes back in. And he's going to be like, you know, that old cliche, a new signing when he comes back. Yeah, it could be the boost we need at the time. We don't know what situation we'll be in. But thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Keep them coming, like I said, Rovershit underscore on Twitter or on YouTube in the comments on any video, really, if you just mention it's a question for the pod or on the podcast of previous weeks. But that's where we'll round off. We'll head into a final section now as we reveal the answers to last week's quiz, quiz questions. And we do a bit of a who am I from Mike questioning me. So, welcome to the quiz section. Start off with, we'll just reveal the answers to last week's three Leopold Volstead thing questions. So, question one was, can you name the other Rovers player with the initials LW? Mike, do you know her? Uh, Lee, Lee Williamson. Lee Williamson, Lee Williamson. perfect. Uh, the second one was, can you name the eight Swedish players to play for Rovers? Mike, I don't worry, I won't touch this one. I was going to say... <laughs> Patrick Anderson, Nicholas Gunmanson, Anders Anderson, Martin Darlene, Nils Eric Johansson, Marcus Olsen, Martin Olsen, and Marcus Antonsson, and then Falstead will become the ninth. And the final question the three players with the letters L E R in order in the name, you could have had Leon Best, Harry Leonard, or I believe he played in the 70s, 80s, Ali McLeod. So three there you could have got. Let us know how you did down below. But, Mike, just want to introduce the quiz you're going to give me this week and we'll get straight into it. Viewers can also play along at home. Okay, so we're going to do a Who Am I? So we've got three Rovers players. You've got eight guess, You've got eight uh, clues and you can start guessing after the third clue. So here's the first player. So I was born in 1977. My middle name is Brooke. I played up front. So 37, okay. 87, 97, or 17, 40. So 45, 46. Okay, I'm going to keep carrying on until yeah, you I turned down Manchester United. I was relegated with Rovers, but I shot us back up. I played 153 games and scored 44 goals. Is it Matt Janssen? 
It is Matt Janssen. The other clues are I started at Carlisle and ended at Chorley. And last one, I don't like mopeds. Probably a I bit harsh, actually. The Carlisle one had got me. I'd have got it there. Okay, player number two. My first name is Edward. I was born in 1965. I have I have had happy and sad times at Wembley. I have two stints at Rovers. I played centre back. Oh, Colin Andrew. It is Colin Andrew. I played 51 times for Scotland. I am a brave heart and I don't like Gaza. Was the other clues. Uh, okay. Everything click as well. The last one. I knew you'd get these because you're like the Rovers magician here when it comes to quizzes. Okay, last one. I started at Man United. I've played for my country 39 times. I was born in Wrexham. I think, yeah, I think I'm pretty, but I'm disliked. My son now follows in my footsteps. I moved from one club to Rovers to be closer to home. Mark Hughes is my idol, even though I played centre mid. I wore the number eight. Number eight. So I think the big clue there is I moved from one club to Rovers to be closer to home. Because there was a big thing made about that. Because it wasn't actually closer to his home. I'm absolutely stumped and it's going to be someone obvious. He has long, pretty hair. Not many people like him. Oh, Robbie Savage. Robbie Savage. I should have got his son. Go. The son would have made that. <laughs> exactly. Ah, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. They were perfect, Mike. Uh, let us know down below as well for anyone. Uh, how did you do? Did you get them before me? Hope you do you want us to do more? Do you want us to do more? Do you enjoy playing along? Yeah, any quiz suggestions as well? We should be back as a three-man panel as well next week. So any quiz suggestions are really appreciated. Uh, we'll carry on bringing them in, but that's where we'll round off for episode number four. Like I say, keep watching, keep subscribing, liking, reviewing, commenting, whatever you do, whatever platform you're watching on. Keep doing that. Uh, keep doing that, please. Really appreciate all the support, Mike. Thank you for joining us from lovely France. Much better than where I'm sat, which is a minute away from Ewood Park. Although maybe the view of Ewood's better than the Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah, I'd prefer to be at Ewood Park. But we'll see what. I'm, hopefully, Saturday's an enjoyable day at Ewood as well. We never know with Rovers, but we'll have it all covered on the channel. Whatever platform you watch on, like I say, subscribe. Share the podcast, share it, whether it's video or audio form with any Rovers fan, you know. And just make sure you tell people about us. The more, the better. The FCA voting as well should open soon. The Football Content Awards, we won the Silver Award a few years ago. Uh, we didn't win an award last year, but we'd love to get back in there. Hopefully win the gold this time. So all the details will be on Twitter at Rovers Chat underscore when that's out. But until next time, thank you very much for watching and listening. <laughs>